figure in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Today's Thursday. It's a leap day, February 29th. Be excited, folks. This day does not come around very often, every four years to be exact. It's actually my mother-in-law's birthday. So want to take this opportunity on the American Radicals Podcast to wish Tanya a happy birthday to you. You don't look a day over 15. I mean that. Uh, well, if you're with us today, thank you for joining the program. We are live streaming on rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. If you happen to be with us live in the chat, folks, remember to smash the like button, follow the show. If you want to subscribe, that would be fantastic as well. If you listen to the podcast afterwards, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you get automatic updates as we put out shows, which we do every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Noon Eastern is when we go live. Today is no exception. Uh, the exception, I guess, is the fact that uh, at GOB Actual couldn't make it today, has a medical follow-up, but in a pinch, the Suspendables network is wide and broad and deep, and I was able to acquire another partner in crime today, and that is going to be my good friend, George Hill, who I will bring on right now and welcome to the program. Thanks for joining me today. We, we had you in a pinch. I got you on podcast today, and I've got you later on on Patriot TV when the Real Steve Friend Show goes at 3 o'clock. Thanks for joining me today, George. Oh, man, it's great to be here. Um, you pulled me in from almost sub-zero temperatures this morning for this uh, podcast, so I'm very grateful. Hey, look, Florida is in the mid-70s right now. I'm, I'm in my happy place. Um, I'm glad to spread the joy any way that I can. You're, I mean, you're a savage. You're out there like hiking in the subarctic. Like I gave the last full measure of devotion for seven and a half years in the Midwest. I don't think I have the ability anymore to uh, to go into single digit temperatures. Yeah, no, I get lots of interesting looks from the few people that do travel down the road. I go start my hike on, you know, before I go off trail because um, usually I'm wearing a plate carrier. Um, and sometimes carrying a weapon up here in New Hampshire, I can get away with that. And, um, you know, if you don't get out there and, and train with your equipment um, in weather that's not perfect, then you're not going to be ready. Preparation is everything, man. Um, and uh, and actually sort of in theme of that, let's knock out the show sponsor uh, while I get it, because I actually want to get your perspective on this one, too. The show sponsor, for the, those who don't know, and for George, he might not know, is uh, True Earth Pharmacy truearth.co make sure you go to that website and use the promo code amrad24 uh, you can get 10% off site-wide on the vast uh, catalog of supplements that they have there that includes things like black turmeric and lion's mane and a mushroom uh, supplement and those are going to be helpful uh, studies are showing that they help with the inflammation problems they can help with cognitive abilities even the black turmeric has been linked in some studies to helping with uh the pharmaceutical processes with fighting back on cancer. So it's, it does a, a vast array of things. And what they do over at True Earth Pharmacy is great because it's an American company. They grow the stuff themselves. They use their own fertilizer. And it's all within the state of Georgia, all American. And uh, it's just a great all-around company. So make sure you go there and use the promo code AMRAD24. And that is at trueearth.co. George, uh, you're, you're a health guy. Uh, you, are you hitting up any of these supplements? I mean, the black turmeric, man, I'm telling you, it's game changer for me. 
Um, I've been using the regular, um, not the black turmeric for a couple of years, three, four years now, um, because I wanted to get off of ibuprofen. And, um, you know, I was on the standard military grade, 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, which is not good. And so I replaced that with uh, a good acupuncturist and turmeric. That's it, man. There, there is some truth to, to the natural homeopathic remedies. I think we all kind of had our eyes open in the last few years about uh, trusting the science and the, uh, the medical system. Uh, all right. I want to set us up. We're going to talk about some heavy stuff today, some intel things, some, some problems in the FBI. Uh, you definitely are a subject matter expert on that. But when you go into heavy stuff, sometimes I think it's, it's good to have dessert first. Uh, which is why I want to set the tone, set your mood, get you primed up and ready to go. Uh, we're going to watch this video here and then we can uh, we'll start our chat. My daddy came to this country. He escaped from Iraq and he came with nothing but a dream of the American flag. He wanted my mother, my sister, our carpet and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love is under terror attack Another sucker punch come flying in from this punk in the back You think you can start a fight and we'll roll over and die Man, we'll light up your world like the 4th of July We're gonna tap this guy's phone Take his rifle and then force companies to make software with backdoor access and then we'll be raising his taxes, make him pay for these toys. And whenever he goes flying, we'll be cupping his boys. It'll feel like the whole wide world is raining down on you. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. All right, George, set the stage for you. Uh, you know, I think uh, your perspective on the war on terror, uh, you put it better than anyone else uh, when you were talking to our mutual friend, Kyle Serafin. Uh, I don't know, maybe like a year ago, where you're talking about how the perspective on uh, national security in this country changed. You kind of have been around before that. You, you were left a boom, you were right a boom. Um, Having gone through the full gauntlet here, do you think uh, that, that maybe we, we've we've gone a little bit too far in, in, in how we are going about uh, keeping the uh, continuity government, preventing the next big terror attack? Well, we've gone well past where we should go. Um, I was a, a, a reservist and a happy civilian with an office overlooking Boston Harbor on 9-11 and wound up getting mobilized three times. And and I'm not going to lie to you or your audience or myself. Um, I had a bloodlust on, on the afternoon of September 11th. And, and I had a chance to exercise that. I got deployed three times, although um, going to Gitmo wasn't all that bloody. But um, the other two were very exciting. And the, the best intentions went awry when we came out with the Patriot Act changes to FISA, some of the changes that Barack Obama made, we'll, we'll get into that. But we've basically created a, a giant self-licking ice cream cone now that just feeds on itself. Um, like I said, we probably had good intentions. I, I think we did when we created DHS and, and made those sweeping changes. But I remember being admonished by some of my European friends at the time saying, yeah, you might want to dial this back. And I don't mind admitting it, but they were right. 
Yeah, I think we kind of uh, we corrected too far. Uh, I think that there's there's a lot of evidence there as evidence, and that that song's parody. But I think that there's a lot of truth to it, which is what kind of makes it uh, sad, but but funny at the same time. Um, now you haven't worked at, in the Intel area. Uh, I was uh, saw that there was a, a social media post yesterday from the FBI, uh, uh, from the special agent in charge of Miami, who uh, I have my problems with. I can get into that in a second, but the purpose of the social media post was, I guess they'd welcomed uh, an eighth grade boy to the office in Miami to he, he sent them a letter saying, I want to be an FBI Intel analyst. And it, the thought came across my mind. I was like, unless you are actually working in the industry and working in that space, your idea of what an Intel analyst is, is basically, do you read, I don't know, Jack Ryan novels or watch movies? Um, can you, for, for the lay person, what is it, what does the day look like for someone who is an intel, intel analyst for a federal law enforcement agency like the FBI? Yeah, the, the FBI's idea of an intel analyst is way different than the military's or NSA's or DIA or CIA. The, the FBI intel analyst is looking for problem areas, not individuals, not commissions of crime, but they're looking for problem areas where something might take root and then metastasize into something that may become problematic afterwards. This all, this whole mindset stems from, um, and I froze up, so hopefully you're still getting a good feed. Um, I got you. So this whole mindset stems from the conversation that George Bush had with Bob Mueller, then director of the FBI in um, Camp David, when he said, I know you're going to catch the guys, Bob, but what are you going to do to catch the next one? So that essentially was the genesis. And, and there have been multiple evolutions since that time. But since mid-September 2001, that was the genesis of the FBI's intel program. So what we have here is proactive policing, somewhat akin to minority report. So you have these analysts that are Really, it's, it's, it's heuristic, meaning rule of thumb, going out there and reading newspapers and periodicals, and, and, and they're reading their favorite ones like The Atlantic or The New York Times or MSNBC, and they're saying, hmm, these rural farmers are becoming problematic, you know, and they might start, you know, doing research into that, and then they start, you know, writing intel notes or intel bulletins. I'm not going to bore your audience with the level of detail the difference between those two. Um, but but that's what they do. And that feeds the threat uh, prioritization and review process, which I, I guess we'll get into at some point. But it, it's totally rule of thumb. There's no real um, disciplined, critical thinking element to it. it. It's just a matter of creating performance metrics and then handing out awards and backpats saying, hey, we exceeded our own uh, established performance metrics. It seems like it's almost like a government-funded content creation job. I mean, like like a YouTube or a person on Rumble, like myself. I'm generating content. I have an audience. I'm talking about issues that I think are interesting, that the audience thinks are interesting. Hopefully, making an impact. But this is government-funded. This is someone who has an interest in one thing or another and likes to consume information from a particular news source and their job that they receive a W-2 from 
is to show up at work and read the news and then write book reports essentially right. on it. Right. So, so government doesn't shrink. Not, not, nothing in government shrinks. So it's always expanding, expanding, expanding. And you have to show it, it doesn't matter. You don't have to really prove it. You just have to show that, hey, we're doing this, that and the other thing. And we've got 2000 uh, violent domestic extremists throughout the country. And we need more people and might need more rice inside my rice bowl and on and on and on it goes. So but I think it's important for you and your audience to understand why my perspective of the FBI's intel program is so different, having come from a military background. In, in the military, intelligence, and even in non-military entities, whether it's the CIA or NSA, and the NSA obviously I have experience with, you know, they are directed towards um, identifying threats to the United States. And as I said to Kyle over a year ago, somehow counterterrorism became uh, or, or national security devolved from the continuation of the country and the constitution of the United States to no American. Uh, I think we just lost George Hill. He'll have to jump back on here. Uh, but I think what the, what George has, has said before, he's, he's on record sort of talking about is that the mentality after September 11th, uh, before 9-11, on 9-10-2001, the perspective was that no, that we're going, national security is focused on preserving the Constitution, preserving the civil liberties and the due process rights that we are all afforded by our Constitution. And then we have an attack and right a boom, the snap reaction is we're going to shift what our priorities are. And the priority is no American will die at the hands of a terrorist on the uh, on American soil ever again. And when the shift of focus stops from preserving continuity of government while preserving the rights to a zero fail mission, inevitably that is tyrannical. And I think we got George back up here. George, I think yeah, you got to tell him. Believe it or not, there are unmarked white trucks out at the end of my street. I, hand to God, there really are. I, you know, it's a tradition like no other, man. Whenever the suspendables uh, have to have a conversation live streamed, there's always some sort of malfeasance. Some sort of weirdness. <laughs> Helicopters flying over, hovering right outside your balcony. Um, yeah, no, it's just weird. So, so, you know, you have the national intelligence priority framework, which the traditional intelligence entities would address based on authorities that they had been given. Most of them operate, not most of them, they all operate overseas. They do all their operations outside the United States to identify threats that may affect the national security of the United States. It's only with the creation of the FBI's intel, domestic intelligence entity, that we have seen these usurpations of American civil liberties uh, become endemic throughout the entire, you know, every aspect of the country. But they've been geared and targeted towards just one particular political persuasion. And that, too, is problematic. But when I left the NSA, I did, while I was there, I did find fixed finish operations, which real short, unclassified, identifying terrorist threats to the United States and killing them. It, that's basically it in a nutshell, in an unclassified version. When I came to the FBI, analysts were primarily focused on case support. So there actually was evidence of a crime committed, and then they would push out those boundaries through analysis to see who else might be tangentially uh, related to this subject that's actually under a legal, lawful um, investigation. And then that changed again with Dave Schlendorf 
and um, it actually happened under Mueller first and the creation of the threat review and prioritization program where we just created metrics out of thin air because the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, and I apologize if it sounds like I'm all over the place, but I'm not, so I'll try to tie it together. The DNI owns the FBI intelligence cadre. They do not belong to the FBI. There was a big debate during the 9-11 Commission where this domestic intelligence capability should reside. Should it be a standalone MI5 or, or something else? And they went with something else and lashed it up to the FBI. But make no mistake, it does not belong to Director Ray. It belongs to the Director of National Intelligence. And about mm, seven years ago, the Director of National Intelligence said, hey, FBI, you're not producing products at the level the rest of the other intelligence agencies are producing them. So that just exacerbated the problem because analysts from CIA, DIA, NSA, NGA, NGIC, whoever, are all looking outward. They're producing products. There's no trampling of civil liberties. The FBI is looking inward in the United States. And now you have the director of national intelligence driving them saying, we need more products. So you're, you're, you're exacerbating the problem by pushing NSA, or I'm sorry, FBI analysts who have no real world experience. They're not former law enforcement. I'll explain in a minute why they're not by and large, former military people like myself to take it upon themselves to identify what they think might be a threat and then write about it and then basically investigate without predication in perpetuity um, nonstop. So I actually crossed paths with Kyle Serapin, unbeknownst to both of us, when he was a cadet, uh, you know, a candidate at the academy and I was a field counselor. And we had lunch with Jim Comey and his posse, and we had an opportunity to ask questions of, of Comey. And I said, you know, after almost 20 years of war, we have thousands of seasoned intelligence professionals coming from the military, most of whom do not have college degrees. And we have a retention problem of people leaving after a few years because we insist on recruiting out of colleges. Why don't we set some milestones for achievement, hire some of these high school graduates with real world experience operating in a highly intense team environment and bring them into the bureau and say, oh, OK, you can get your GS-12 when you get your associate's degree, GS-13, you know, provided there are other criteria. His posse jumped on me like a pack of starving hyenas. He never even had a chance to reply. No, 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 no. They want blue haired. Ivy League graduates, preferably those who put their pronouns in their signature block. What was, I mean, there's the real reason and the right reason. And, and I mean, the real reason is, yes, they want the uh, the blue-haired, screaming, vile, vile, vicious Karens. I mean, look, uh, white liberal women are the worst people in America. They want them in that seat for political reasons. What was the real, the right reason that they told you that they needed that to justify that? They didn't. They didn't. That, that's what I said. Like, like, it was about amazing. He had six people with him and at least four of them all talking over each other at me, both, you know, with 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 anger and disdain saying, you know, no, we're not changing it. This is how we've laid it out. This is our path forward. And and cut me off within 10 seconds of, of a public berating. 
Um, which, you know, I'm a big boy. I can take that. But it was clear to me that I didn't belong in this organization. So when Comey showed up, that would have been, what, 2016 when Kyle was at the academy? Probably. He was there in 16, yeah. Comey came in in 2013 was when yeah. he was the first uh, yeah. director. So when Kyle was at the academy, that was 2016. So that's when I was down there as a field counselor. And I had already known, and then there's been reporting subsequent to that, that Marines, you know, people like me that, you know, like display the flag and love America, um, you know, were not wanted in the FBI. Um, so by limiting your recruiting to schools that have administrators that cannot even define what genocide is and recruiting people out of there with no real world experience to be your analyst, to, to drive the numbers for this self-licking ice cream cone, you've created a mechanism now that fits the political objective perfectly. And let me add to that, pre-Comey, Bob Mueller came to the FBI field office in Boston in front of the entire office, 400 people plus, and I had an opportunity to ask a question. You know, and most people ask kind of like the Joe Biden questions, you know, like what's your favorite ice cream type sort of thing. Um, so, and I asked Mueller at that time, you know, so this is before my conversation with Comey, you know, the FBI got 60 senior executive positions to run the Intel program because of the 9-11 commission. All 60 of those positions went to 1811s agents, not one Intel professional. Why and when are you going to start moving experienced intel people into those positions? And he said, when you show me somebody who's qualified, I'll consider them. To which I said, and, and she was a, a god, lowercase g, at NSA. They had just unceremoniously kicked Marine Bajinsky out the door, who was a former NSA senior executive. They had brought her on right after the FBI was given that intelligence capability to build the intel program. And after about 15, 16 months, they're like, yeah, pack your shit, get out of here. Um, and I confronted Bob with that. I'm like, well, I would consider Marine Bajinsky a qualified intelligence professional. Spent her whole career at the NSA. And he said, I don't know that person. Mm -hmm. So you know what, uh, Steve? They're hard bent on this. They're not going to stop. And I don't see anybody of consequence. And I don't mean any disrespect to you or the suspendables because I'm one of them. But there's nobody in the political sphere that's going to stop this uh, continued uh, juggernaut of, of trampling our Constitution. No, I, I think I sort of, uh, especially with the reporting that's coming out of, of Washington, it's it's every day. It's a fire hydrant. Uh, but they're talking about this continuing resolution and they're going to continue to fund the government. And I said, you have to be intellectually honest. The, the, the sort of abuses that you just laid out or that I've ha been hammering for a year and a half that continue to go on. Anytime that our elected officials pass a continuing resolution, that is them in essence saying that those abuses continuing is preferable to us having some sort of partial government shutdown where we completely defund and, and get rid of these these abuses, which theoretically the power of the purse string is something that there is, we give to our congressional representatives to bring weaponized government to heal, but there's just, there's just not an appetite for it. Um, you did touch on something and I, I want to, it, it gets a little bit into the, into the weeds, a little nerdy, uh, but I think it's worth 
talking about, and that is the, the threat review prioritization and the field office strategic planning. These are all the different acronyms. Um, in essence, it's the bane of my existence that been my prime director to expose. It's the quota system that exists in the FBI and the way that they go about setting up their their quotas and their goals for and their metrics every year in all the different 56 field offices. I had a very small ability to participate in that. I was an acting supervisor for a couple of months and was I kind of compared myself to the kid on vacation in Cancun who got two years of high school Spanish. I understood like every fourth or fifth word uh, and then but was self-aware enough to know that it, the whole thing seemed like it was contrived and completely unnecessary and not really pushing them the mission forward where we would essentially be going after people who are sub, uh, who are putting the American people at risk of fraud and force and victimizing them and trying to bring them in and, and put them in jail. Uh, it seemed like we were more just widgets factory uh, and we have to hit these quota numbers and that in essence is success. Uh, but you having been as a supervisor intelligence analyst, having seen that process go over, can you kind of just give a 30,000 foot view of what actually goes on and, and how it's just corrupted the entire uh, mission for a law enforcement agency, which is supposed to be, you know, what the FBI is, which is they're supposed to be the premier law enforcement agency for the country, but they seem to just be like a dog chasing its tail now going after stats. So there's, there's a couple things that give me the authority to talk about this as opposed to just being the loud drunk guy at the end of the bar. Number one, and it may not mean anything to your audience depending on their background, but I'm a certified ISO 9000 auditor. I had a nine year break uh, in between wars um, in the private sector. So ISO 9000 is a set of standards, um, international standards organization. So that's where my experience comes from in terms of establishing baseline performance metrics and then putting in processes to move those you know, end of year stats up. And they're they're measurable, they're quantifiable, they're not um, you know heuristic. Just you know, like you, you can actually, it's not anecdotal evidence. The TRP process is purely anecdotal because it's amorphous because it's based on intelligence coming in primarily from the DNI office. So when that process starts at the top and moves from headquarters from the uh, intelligence directorate. Um, or DI, the director of intelligence, when it starts at the DI, when that arrives at the field office, there will be certain threats that are priorities for big FBI, a, a certain color, and then there will be others, field offices, and, and you decide whether or not that is a threat in your AOR. So for example, um, you know, Indian country may be, you know, a threat, you know, for big FBI and then a handful of offices where there are actually, you know, reservations and, and issues regarding that. Or if you're in, say, Phoenix, the cartels are going to be a certain color for that office, but not for Boston. Believe it or not, Boston had the last um, case regarding the Irish Republican Army. So obviously that's not going to show up on Atlanta's threat review prioritization matrix. So those come in from the DI early on, months before it has to be finalized. And that lands on the desk of the, S the assistant special agent in charge for each program. And then they farm that out 
to the program managers, who typically is a GS-13 special agent, and they work with their GS-14 supervisory special agent to say, yes, this is ours, this is not ours, what is our posture on this, how many cases do we have on, on that particular threat, and then there's those discussions will then rope in the intelligence analyst that's assigned to that squad slash program, and then eventually the SSA and the SIA, supervisory intelligence analyst, myself, will get involved in the discussions. And then it gets bigger with bigger salaries and bigger paychecks. And eventually you, you sit down with the SAC and you go through and you answer, start putting out the metrics, what you're going to put towards those particular threats, whether it be uh, Elsher, electronic surveillance, how many FISAs you're going to have against this particular threat, how many UCs, how many undercovers, how many uh, intelligence products you're going to write, what kind of intelligence products you're going to write. But the lion's share of the performance data is about collections and intelligence writing. It's not about arrest. And they determine effectiveness by how kind of like Wiley e. Coyote kicking up all the dust and everything in the air and but nothing happens. He doesn't get the roadrunner anyway. Well, it doesn't matter in the FBI. You don't have just like the cartoon. You don't have to get the roadrunner. You just have to create a lot of noise, smoke and fire or yeah, noise and smoke and, you know, effort. You, what you're describing my experience, my my small experience to a T. I mean, I was this acting supervisor sort of keeping the desk warm until they got a permanent replacement for the for the new supervising special agent and going through the process where we were talking about generating intel products and different tools that we could we could use and they were they were trying to brainstorm uh, potential uh, mechanisms that they could address the threat and the threat for me was the Indian reservations. And I just remember sitting there honestly saying to them, well, that won't work because of X and that won't work because of Y and that won't work because of Z. And they, they didn't care about actually putting criminal offenders in jail. They just wanted to have something on the books to say that, well, we're, we're starting this new initiative and we have yeah. these, this list of things to achieve it. And it got to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm a self-aware guy. I'm not afraid to look, look dumb in the room. And I said, guys, and technically, I was the highest ranking person, even as the acting boss. I said, I thought my job was to put bad guys in jail. And the analysts that were on the call with me started to laugh. And they said, we don't care if you put anyone in jail. Right. <laughs> it's not a performance metric. Um, Bob Mueller tried to replicate when he first started this Intel program, uh, the Comstat effort that was being done in New York with Giuliani and um, I forget who the uh, chief of police was at that time. Um, Bernie Carrick. Yeah. And, and I, for, I was so fixating on TRP for this, this conference call that I forgot what the program was that, uh, that Bob uh, came out with and he would actually like review cases and then it just shifted completely from cases, which have predication to, other stuff that we decide what is a good level of performance. There's a great scene in the movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield where one of his underlings comes over with his astronomy paper and it's like, here's your astronomy paper, Mr. I forget his name. Uh, and uh, he looks at, he lists it up a couple times. He goes, eh, he goes, bump it up with a couple more charts and graphs. It doesn't feel right. And, and that's kind of like the TRP process. 
it, you know, we set our own performance metrics. So we're going to have two more FISAs for Iranian counterintelligence, knowing before we even step foot in the room, we're going to have four. So we're, we've already set ourselves up. We, we're, we put ourselves down for two. We know we're going to hit four. But we don't say we're going to hit five or six or even four. We say we're going to get two more in fiscal year 2025. And when we get four or five, we got, you know, on the spot awards, time off awards, pats on the back, bonus for the SAC. So they, they game the system intentionally, you know. So it, it, it's it's no different than, you know, asking, you know, uh, I don't know follow baseball that much anymore, but asking a solid, you know, 290 hitter, what are you going to hit next year? And he says, you know, uh, I think I can hit 285, you know. And then if he hits 290, he gets a, a $500,000 bonus. They're intentionally lowballing it so that they can be awesome when they go in front of their various oversight committees. Well, and, and the problem is, one, you you shouldn't budget crime or tools that you're going to use, especially very invasive tools. I mean, to, to budget the number of wiretaps that you're going to have, that's the most invasive tool that there is in law enforcement. And for you to say, before the year even starts, we know that we're going to do what's necessary, exhaust all possible avenues so that we can use this wiretap and we can hit the metrics and get the right number of wiretaps and get everybody the bonuses. And then then also operationally, there's a disruption. I was told as an agent who was just a boot agent, man, uh, putting bad guys in jail at a pretty high volume because of the nature of the work that I did. Not that it was, I was a super cop. There just was a lot of bad guys and the cases weren't very complicated. I put about two dozen people in jail every single year on an average year. And I was told in some of the more complex cases that I did have to delay indicting them because it was a public corruption case and we'd already hit the public corruption indictment numbers for the year. So why don't we wait for the new fiscal year to roll over October 1st and then we can hit the ground running. And because our entire goal for next year is to get 10 indictments for public corruption related charges, you have nine subjects, Steve. So on October 1st, we're 90% of the way to the goal and we've sandbagged for a couple of months here yeah. because we already hit the numbers and we don't want the numbers to go up beyond 10. If you get, if you come in with nine and we had, we already had 10, they're going to expect us to get 19 next year, Steve. So yeah. why don't we keep it low? And as a result of that, you have people that were committing federal crimes who were not brought into custody for a number of months. And we were then double counting even the numbers that when they came in, they said, hey, that's a public corruption indictment. It's also an Indian country indictment. You're going to double up on it. Th these are just the games that get played and they're in the way of the actual mission, which is supposed to be preserving the rule of law, go after criminal offenders, to protect the innocent, to set up some system of justice but instead it just becomes this game of numbers like we're trying to sell widgets in a factory. But it gets worse. <laughs> it actually gets worse. Oh, wait, there's more. Because who <laughs> rolled out TRP? Human resources. They have lashed, not even lashed, welded to get fused the whole TRP process with the promotion process. I mean, it's genius. It, 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 all you need to do is learn how to manipulate the system to Push your career forward. Hey, it, 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 yeah, you're. I mean, I guess personnel is policy. So the the human resources at being in control of that is is just a fool's errand. I mean, th those are people that are even who are um, doing their job. I mean, they're they're not actually mission focused on what you or I or in the American public would be interested in. Is 
having their premier law enforcement go after and now attaching that to the ability to promote or to get bonuses is just gross. I mean, when I, I speak, I have the opportunity to speak publicly a lot and I always lead off with this integrated program management, this quota system that exists and the problems that are downstream from it. There are so many problems that are egregious, but the grossest thing that get, gets people just there, gets them all amped up is knowing that people get bonuses yeah. because their subordinates arrest the right number of people. Which but not, not arrest. They get bonuses for one extra FISA, one yeah. extra Elsher, one extra source. They don't get bonuses for arrest. They and, get and, bonuses, bonus, they get arrest, they get bonuses for just stuff that we said that we did. And whether we did it or and not, take, and taking or credit for things. Impact. I mean, we we were under pressure to think to look at look at things you already did and see if it could be reinterpreted to get more accomplishments off of doing that. So, I, like a simple one was like if we um, if we arrested someone, we would do a, a swab for you know get, swab their cheeks, and that would get sent to the database as a DNA, right? And they tried to contrive to say that that was like a a biological statistic. Um, so that we could count it towards that because there was a, a quota for the number of biological tests that had to be run for the field office for the year. And, and clearly all I'm doing is putting a Q-tip in a guy's mouth. I'm not like with a Bunsen burner in a lab with a white lab coat, but we have to try to be creative in the way that we interpret what we do so that we can do the minimum amount of actual work necessary and maximize the quote unquote accomplishments that we have. Yeah. And the, well, the FBI loves to just make up accomplishments too, which is why I always chuckle whenever I hear the word disruption, because that's a completely inventive, arbitrary num uh, stat that the FBI came up with. Yeah, saying because you said it is. Exactly. <laughs> so let, let's put it, there's too much speeding on I-95 between, you know, mile marker this and mile marker that. You start out the fiscal year, I'm going to put X number of cars out there with radar. I'm going to put a, a trooper in the bushes, you know, every other week. And I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing to, to slow the cars down. And then you stop writing speeding tickets. Well, clearly everything that you did to disrupt the speeding has worked by putting all these cars out there and radars and people in the bushes with radar guns and flying a helo over. And you just stop writing tickets, but you can say, well, I did this, I did that. I put this guy out there. I put this guy out there. I got a helicopter up in the air. Check bonuses all around the, the, the barracks, you know, Trooper who runs the that particular state police barracks gets a bonus, bonuses to all the troopers, days off or whatever. I mean, you just they're just manipulating the system. But again, it's tied to promotions. So you're incentivizing manipulation beyond just bonuses, beyond just a time off award. The whole entire career path is incentivized and and bastardized. Man. We could go off on this forever. Uh, I do want to come off of it, though, uh, to talk about something else, because the, the, one of the real main reasons I had you come on was to talk about a separate issue uh, that is Intel-related, and it's something that you have uh, drawn my attention to, um, and, and it's sort of indicative of how uh, the intelligence agency aspect, the, the intelligence collection aspect to it, was turned into hyperdrive 
Um, and the, the reporting on it, I thought was a little funny because it, it dealt with this executive order 12333, an amendment that the Obama administration had at the very tail end. And the way that the, the article that I looked at, especially from Wired Magazine, um, coming from the political left side of things, was saying that they were worried that this amendment to an executive order pertaining to intelligence collection was going to be weaponized by the right against the left, by the FBI against the left. And as it came to pass, it seems like it's the exact opposite. Um, I want to pull this article up here in Georgia. And can you can just sort of give an explanation for what, it, it, how the NSA functioned before and how it's now functioning as a result of that and, um, and give people a better understanding. But here's the actual article. Uh, it is from Wired Magazine, is dated from, I believe, 2017, the early days of the uh or the late in the latter days of the obama administration it says just in time for trump the nsa loosens its privacy rules privacy critics have called on the obama on obama to rein in u.s surveillance powers before trump can abuse them with a new nsa rule change he's done just the opposite and uh this is from yep january 12th 2017 so just before inauguration day um uh, can you can you just kind of uh, go into this a little bit here for us Sure. So Obama actually said that the reason he did this was because he was afraid that Trump was going to lock down the intelligence agencies and that, quote, this information would not be available. When, in fact, the opposite was true. Obama knocked down all the walls between the intelligence entities so that you now have. There are multiple forms of int intelligence, you know, signals, intelligence, measures and signals intelligence, human intelligence, imagery, all source intelligence, or fusion cells. So you have different entities within the intelligence community that, that specialize on different types of intelligence. The National Security Agency, which we know from Mike Rogers' impromptu trip to Trump Tower during the election, um, got into the political business of monitoring the Trump campaign um, when, you know, after Obama had given them the, this green light. So they were pretty quick to react to that and, and jump on that bandwagon and become a domestic spying service. Prior to that, when I joined NSA, it was so compartmentalized and rightfully so. So my first year on probation was to establish a, a mechanism and a protocol so that deploying soldiers could get access to the raw SIGINT collection uh, prior to their deployment. And these were actual, you know, SIGINT uh, soldiers, Army Intel personnel with already had the clearances and everything. And but, you know, because of the protocols put in place to actually protect people's rights, there were very strict, uh, very firm barriers to keep people, you know, just from just going shopping and perusing around these various databases, because up until Barack Obama, the NSA was nothing more, and I mean this in a, in a good way, than a giant global Roomba vacuum cleaner just sucking up everything around the globe. And then it would get warehoused on various servers and then compartmentalized within those. The job that I did at NSA, my boss who sat right next to me, on, we had like carols, like you see in the library, had no idea what I was doing because it was compartmentalized. Obama changed all that and all this information that the NSA was collecting overnight after that change to 12333, which was first written by Ronald Reagan. Don't ask me the year. I don't forget. I don't remember. But 
he made all that data available and the FBI, again, very quick to respond, like they must have known it was coming, set up something called Data Warehouse. I know, not very creative or clever, where then all this FISA 702 or, uh, collection data uh, would reside so that these analysts who are being pushed by the DNI to write products so we can get the numbers up to match the rest of the intelligence community now have a giant, you know, Texas-sized you know, Walmart to go shopping in every day and just create stuff out of thin air. So before this, uh, this amendment to the executive order, when the NSA was just the Roomba sucking in the information, if the NSA in the course of sucking in for information got info that might pertain to a violation of the criminal of criminal law, right? They just, was it kind of like a little bit of a nudge, elbow uh or head nod like hey fbi um you might want to look at george hill no or, so they would okay. just they would forward they would not read on they would forward the reporting with the name redacted to the fbi and i i would see this actually come into my analyst and we would look at the nsa reporting and say yes no maybe and there was paperwork we had to fill out Obviously, we weren't as good as Samantha Powers in, in getting it out so quickly. She unredacted thousands of names. But we would send that back to the NSA saying, hey, yes, please unredact this name. But then it was a process. You couldn't just stay, keep that, you know, open forever in the FBI's uh, realm of operations. You know, you would do your respective searches, you know, the very, you know, whether it be Sentinel or I forget what we had before Sentinel, some god awful DOS system. I can't even remember now. Um, A, but look yes. at the yeah, look at all, all the various databases and say yes, no. There's something here. There's something is something's not here. Sit down with the SSA, the special agent in charge of that particular squad, where the person's name you know may be associated with. Nine times out of ten, it was terrorism related because that's primarily where the uh, the NSA was focused. Um, uh, you know after 9-11, if it was somebody, some reporting that they would m maybe be associated with Russia or Iran or something regarding counterproliferation or espionage, you know, most of those cases would have been handled out of the D.C. office and they would have gotten the alert uh, from NSA. So there was nobody from the FBI prior to Obama's change just sitting there going, trolling through NSA data looking for stuff there was actually a very formal mechanism to request that the name be unredacted so th that obama changed all that so now that the the raw data that the nsa is collecting is just available for like a like you said a giant walmart sized uh supply for in any sort of enterprising intel analyst to just go in and shop around and find whatever they want yeah they they is it category? I mean, how, how would you go in there? Would you, somebody just says, so a, a regular frontline Intel analyst who's, you know, like all the Intel analysts watching CNN and MSNBC and reading the Atlantic all day long says, you know, I, I don't like these vicious, vile people that flag guests and flag. And they just go into the software system and then type in key phrases that they think are going to pertain to people who they deem to be politically problematic and hold beliefs right. that need to be investigated. And then they take that information and generate a Intel report. 
Yeah, they might, hopefully... write, they might write a bulletin or something really short to kind of, you know, test the waters, you know, see if there's anything out there. You know, so say I, you know, query um, data warehouse for um, nanotechnology, superconductivity, um, dual use, Iran, um, general atomics, um, General Electric um, it runs the boat yard for the subs, you know, and I see what comes back, you know, and and then I might, you know, write, you know, an Intel note or, or not, you know, a bulletin typically is involving some sort of terrorism type sort of thing. So what I just gave you would be counter proliferation. So, yeah, and then you just you're off to the races, you know, you might write a uh, you might do a deeper dive and push that out and write a more. Uh, extensive product with with other types of sourcing available to it um, so it's being an FBI Intel analyst is not a hard job um, it can be if you want it to be if you actually want to be you know help you know actually move cases forward but that's not where the reward system is set up and I I think there's they're a lot more motivated now too because they're recruiting the the type of person that they deem to be right that the blue-haired college student who's got no actual real world experience, who wants to be an advocate, who wants to push certain casework being done. I, I would imagine that when they're creating these bulletins and testing the waters, even going on full on creating a product, their hope is that it's going to generate a full on investigation of particular groups of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then if you can get that added to the whole TRP process, all the better, you know, cause you <laughs> can get bonuses. That. You can amend that throughout the year, you know, so you can move something along the spectrum into being, you know, a significant threat. And personally enrich yourself and then set that metric once it's set, you know, it's kind of hard to, to get rid of it. They want to, they want to keep it going, something to achieve uh, every single year and, and just have a, a new, whole new threat violation that they're, they're interested in. That they can devote more and more resources to, I think it's like you said, success is, is in continuing, is in growing. It's never actually in achieving a, a mission or right. addressing a threat until, you know, if, if you had, if you could do away with crime or do away with terrorism, I think the FBI would be probably upset about it because it wouldn't, Said it, it wouldn't have a reason to exist anymore. Right. Uh, I mean, look, look what happened to the U.S. military after the Berlin Wall collapse. We had no idea what to do with it. So we threw ourselves a party and invaded Iraq in 1991. <laughs> All right. This is pretty somber, George. But I do. I want to I want to uh, maybe give it. I guess you call it a palate cleanse. Give us both maybe a little bit of a chuckle. This is an article um, that uh, you threw into our group chat. Um, and I think that is. Uh, it's, it's not representative of what our perspectives are within our own group, uh, but maybe a writ large around the, uh, around the country of is the good men and women of the FBI coming forward. This was, uh, this was shared within our group folks. Uh, honest agents turn on the FBI dot, dot, dot it's happening. And uh, you'll see a picture of the, the gal who we affectionately refer to as FBI Barbie, miss Nicole Parker who uh, testified in front of Congress. She, you know, you were, you were wise uh, to avoid that experience, George. You, you said, no, thanks, no thanks. I'd rather go teach my class uh, instead of talking to politicians. Garrett and I, uh, we, we could not resist the temptation, the opportunity to get uh, thrown under the bus and have it driven over us multiple times by 
Um, guys like Dan Goldman and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, but Nicole Parker, she was the first to go forward and testify in front of the weaponization committee about FBI abuse. She didn't give them anything, um, didn't actually become a whistleblower in any way, uh, said that was motivated by the politics of the FBI. Of course, she negotiated a, a Fox News contributorship contract for herself before coming forward. Uh, George, you had a chance to read this article. Do you have a, any general sense on what the, what the, the, is there going to be a, a group of honest agents or honest other, uh, you know, analysts or whoever of the FBI? Is it really happening or is this just uh, clickbait, a fool's errand for people who are consuming the milk toast news? There's no evidence of it happening. If there were, um, we would not see, you know, the kind of SWAT raids we see on people recovering from soul, uh, shoulder surgery um, or the gentleman that was shot in Utah. It's not happening there. There we have a compliant workforce at the FBI who is either and, and uh, Garrett covered it very well the other day on Kyle's show who are either intentionally misled or very willing to go out there and, and put their boot uh, on, on someone's back uh, or, or, or move a, a pregnant spouse forcibly out of their own home. So, no, it's not happening. The genesis behind that is an absolute mystery because nobody reached out to any one of the suspendables who actually <laughs> went in front of Congress and testified about real abuse. I went and, and testified in closed door not looking for notoriety um, with with Jim Jordan and and the Democrat uh, half of that um, uh, committee, and you know they didn't come and, and and try to interview me. My face is out there when you were testifying. I forget what congressman it was, but he put my face up there a number of times, like you were responsible for what I said. You know, <laughs> so um, you know. It, it, it sounds almost like when Joe Biden and, and Mayor Eric Adams were talking about, we need to end these sanctuary cities. They're just mouthing the words. They have no, they have no meaning to it. You know, FBI Barbie is nothing more than a rice cake. Lots of noise, no nutrition, not satisfying. Well, I mean, according to that article, it's a coalition, even though she's the only one named. And, and, for, and for those who don't know the the deep-seated resentment that I think we all sort of in amongst our own little cadre sort of uh, feel towards towards this woman who, like, I don't know her personally. I know her reputation. I know people who do know her. Um, and from what I've been able to gather amongst my uh, my investigatory skills, because it's something that I did for a decade and a half, I'm, I'm kind of good at it. Um, she was a person who has consistently claimed that she joined the FBI following September 11th out of a duty of, of patriotism. Um, of course, she didn't join until 2010. So I guess nine years to ruminate over that decision before she actually joined the FBI. Uh, her reputation within the FBI Miami field office was as a uh, program coordinator for crimes on the high seas. Uh, so that's a job for people who don't actually investigate crime. And her reputation was to show up on scenes of search warrants that involved media attention even though she was not working those actual violations, was not a member of those squads that were executing those arrests and those searches. And she would position herself very prominently in front of the cameras with her hair and makeup professionally done. And then uh, what spurred her to leave the FBI 
uh, as a quote unquote whistleblower who didn't blow the whistle on anything, didn't present any information about waste, fraud, abuse, or risk of public safety, but just co-opted talking points that she read from guys like you and Garrett and Kyle and me and used that uh, and then said that because of the stress of the job, because of her friend who was killed in the FBI Miami division on a child porn warrant, even though she wasn't there. Uh, she decided that she could no longer deal with the stress and the politics of the FBI and had to come forward, of course, securing herself a lucrative uh, contributorship at Fox News before she did so. So definitely leaning on her heart. She is whistleblower blackface. And as a result of her position on cable news has edged out important people, important messengers who don't want accolades and don't want attention like you, but just want the message to get to the right people, to get people who are the ability to actually change the dynamic, to actually bring about real reform, or if not that, get into the ears of the American people to galvanize an appetite for them to push on their elected representatives. But instead, she can get her three-minute Fox hit and get paid for it and say, yes, I'm a whistleblower. And now apparently I'm a coalition of one. So yeah. yeah, I have a little bit of resentment for FBI Barbie. She she embarrasses shameless promoters. She's so shameless. Um, <laughs> she actually, um, a lot of people don't know this, maybe your sources weren't unaware, but she actually got involved uh, in crimes on the high seas um, after watching Pirates of the Caribbean. And um, so that's how she got, that's how she wound up down that career path. Well, I mean, Johnny Depp has slightly less makeup than she does. So that makes sense. That, that yeah. checks. All right. George, we are coming to the end of the American Radicals podcast today. Uh, I want to thank you for, for joining me and giving this information out here. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to some of this stuff. The, the, the intel side of things, I really, I mean, I was a crim guy. Uh, and I've, I've tried to catch myself up to speed and, and you are a, uh, you're a great resource for me on that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad to count you as a friend, as a fellow suspendable and for a, uh, for, for joining me today on the American radicals podcast. I thank you very much for today. Thanks for having me, Steve. And I'm just an old man who's seen way too much. Well, if people want to get more of it, I will invite them today, 3 p.m., so a couple hours from now. George is going to be joining me on Patriot TV, Patriot.TV, The Real Steve Friend Show, 3 p.m. We're going to be talking more about this executive order and about uh, actually his whistleblowing that he did about concerning the Bank uh, of America disclosures that were to the FBI. We're going to be having that discussion on later today. Uh, but for the time being, guys, thank you again for joining me today on the American Radicals podcast. Rumble.com slash AmradPod is where you will find us. Uh, while you're here, make sure you give us a follow and a like. And uh, be prepared for Saturday. We will be going into Animal Farm Book Study Continues. It'll be our third session. We're going to be doing Chapter 5 and Chapter 6. Things get a little spicy. I already did my re reading. It's been a couple decades, so I want to make sure I was fresh. I'm ready and excited to do that. So you guys have been warned. You have a couple of days to read Chapters 5 and Chapter 6 of Animal Farm. And uh, we will see you when you we are there on Saturday. Enjoy the rest of your day. listening to the voice of the suspendables on the american radicals podcast follow us on rumble.com slash am rad pod <laughs>